0: fans for week two of never odd or even presents friday funhouse podcast i am your commissioner host and undoubtedly the heaviest person in our league aj and we have an overflowing podcast for you today Uh, we're going to kick things off with a series i'll be doing over the next four pods uh, breaking down the post draft rankings for every team uh three teams at a time i really wanted to get more into this last week but jacob was frantically sending me text messages that he had to pee so when i started looking at individual players i could tell that he just wasn't interested at all Uh, After that, uh, we'll have Isaiah on uh, to break down the next hockey movie in our series. Uh, It's one that neither one of us have ever ever seen, uh, Odd Man Rush. It stars Dylan Playfair, who plays Riley in Letterkenny, and a bunch of other dudes that I've never heard of before whose IMDb pictures all look quasi-depressed. Then finally, if I can get him to actually agree to it, I'm going to have Jacob on for a very short film focused discussion on division sponsorships, which means this pod is probably going to be about six hours long because nothing is ever short or focused when Jacob and I are involved. So if you're still here in the intro, uh, I'd recommend downloading this podcast to whatever device you're listening to so that you can digest at your own rate. We might have some exciting news uh, here later in the week uh, about the ability to actually subscribe to the podcast. So stay tuned for that as well. Also, uh, leave some feedback on the blog if you're interested. Um, Let me know what you guys think, uh, what you want to hear. And uh, just in general, how things sound. Uh, always trying to improve, so, so let me know what you think. So, uh, yeah, I guess without further ado, uh, here's episode two. So, uh, welcome to the very stat-heavy uh, draft breakdown. Uh, one of the things that I really wanted to do last week, but we just really ran out of time, was go more in-depth on the draft rankings that Jacob and I generated. Uh, I really wanted to take some time to highlight teams this year, uh, talk about what's happening with your rosters, and the draft seems like a great place to start. So like we discussed last week, you can really slice data into a billion different ways and come up with a ton of rankings. Uh, So I decided to utilize the projected points to rank the teams. Those are the stats that Yahoo gives us that says that, you know, player X is going to score 200 points this season. Um, But we'll talk about some of the other stuff too. Uh, The important part is that we establish who the absolute worst teams are after the draft so that we can spotlight them and uh, make fun of them for their ineptitude. So um, if I could have Ashton, Curtis, and Eduardo uh, please stand up for the next half hour or so while I mock your pain, I'd uh, greatly appreciate it. So immediately in listing these three people, you can see some oddities you wouldn't expect. Uh, First and foremost, of the three, only one of these people actually auto-drafted. Uh, That was Ashton, and before we get too deep in there, we know how brutal her goalie situation was, because I pretty much won't shut up about it. But is it more embarrassing to have the horrible draft that she did in auto-draft, or to be Curtis and Eduardo, who are both present on draft day and still rounding out the bottom? Um, I'll just leave that up to you guys to decide, really. Uh, Another oddity, and the roster I want to break down first, is Curtis's team. Uh, Curtis ranks second to last in projected points for the season, but he actually ranks second overall in terms of average player ranking. And you might be asking yourself, like, how the hell does that happen? Uh, But before I answer that question specifically, um, I wanted to start on this roster because Jacob had some trouble projecting Curtis's keeper value ranks, since he didn't know who Curtis actually kept. Uh, Thankfully, I do know, uh, since I have the convo and messenger, and uh, I save all documentation for, you know, league posterity. Uh, Before we get to the details uh, Curtis and Eduardo both were in the inevitable position of being expansion teams right they didn't have a roster that they were familiar with last year and the way that we did it we gave them damn near the whole league to pick from so as they read down the list and they see all these stars that aren't being kept it's really easy to get lost in name recognition and not really tune into the value of these players which is probably what happened to Curtis. Um, He kept Frederick Anderson, the goalie for Toronto, uh, Brent Burns, defenseman for San Jose, and Stephen Stamkos, you know, winger in Tampa Bay. And really, he overpaid by $253. That's not what he actually paid. That's the amount that he overpaid. And that's 31% of his cap space. That whopping overpayment for keepers would have put him in last place in Jacob's Keeper Value Rankings, uh, just ahead of Eduardo, who overpaid by... um, 205 dollars it's kind of a theme there uh one of the good things about hitting rock bottom though is that there's really nowhere to go but up and like we mentioned in the intro curtis has the second to worst team in terms of point projections which mean he actually improved his position by one spot on draft day uh, he added value to his team by uh, being at the draft um which actually means he's tied for having the third best draft, sort of. I mean, we're comparing your keeper value to projected points, which isn't really a one-for-one one comparison, right? We're talking about what you should have paid for a player versus, you know, the actual points we expect them to score in a season. And plus, we don't know what they're actually going to score. But at this point, we really only have um, projections, right? But regardless, comparative to the rest of the league, I mean, he had an okay draft. Uh, He grabbed uh, Matthew Barazel uh, from the Islanders right at value, and uh, he's projected for 190 points, which is pretty solid. Uh, Morgan Riley, Andrews Lee, Brock Nelson all jump out to me as high points on his roster as well. Uh, Actually, Curtis seems to have had a hard spot for the Islanders um, with three forwards and a goalie from that crew. And it's not like his keepers are absolute garbage. Uh, Stamkos was 19th rated for pre-draft. Uh, Burns was the 6th best defenseman. And Anderson was actually the ninth best goalie. So he got a top 10 goalie there as well. So it's not like he lit an entire pile of money on fire. He just paid like double what he should have. And having an extra 250 bucks on draft day, or hell, even now for the waiver or trade market, could make a massive difference. So how does Curtis have a team that's second to last in projected points, but is second best in average player rankings. That's kind of strange. Well, statistical oddities happen when you take a player who is projected to score zero points on the season, which is what he has in Ilya Sorokin. Uh, it's almost funny, but mostly sad, that Sorokin is actually the 185th ranked player in overall player rankings and is projected for zero points, while defenseman Ryan Graves, also on his roster, is ranked 203rd overall So much lower than Sorkin, but projected to score 125 points. So when you have somebody that's actually got a decent ranking, but projected for zero points, that's going to completely jack with your averages. It's going to make it look like he drafted a much better team than he did. Whereas his projected point total is still going to have that giant gaping zero added into it. Uh, Also, it's kind of maddening that a goalie who may or may not actually crack the league this season has more value than a second or third line demon. Um, you know, a lot of value in goalies, really. Somehow, though, uh, even with Sorokin, uh, Curtis has the best, uh, the third best goalie unit uh, based on average ranking. Behind the strength of Anderson and Pavel Frankuz, the Colorado goalie who's rated 14th in preseason goalie rankings, uh, throw in the preseason number 20 goalie, uh, Columbus's own uh, Elvis Merzelkins, and you have a pretty solid unit. Um, if I were Ilya Sorokin, I'd be expecting my bus pass and uh, take-home pay pretty quickly, because Curtis really has no use for him, uh, especially on a roster with only five defensemen. Uh, so yeah, Curtis's team doesn't look to be in too bad a spot, really. Some minor tweaks, especially ditching that last goalie, uh, could go a long way towards improvements. Of course, none of that can save him from not setting his lineup daily. Uh, He's left 7.5 points on his bench this week. Or bad luck, as his third-best defenseman, Oliver ekman Larson, hit the IR this week. And Pavel Francouz, who who we mentioned earlier, is listed as out with a lower body injury. Uh, So he is, for the moment, outperforming his post-draft ranking, as he has the 10th-most points in the league to date, not the 11th. So from having the worst keeper value to the second-worst projected points— to the third worst point output in week one, Curtis is slowly and not so surely climbing his way out of hell. Uh, oddly, Eduardo's story actually starts damn near identical to Curtis's. Um, selecting from the expansion draft in the other division, he also overpaid by his keep- for his keepers by about $200, uh, putting him second to last on the list uh, for keeper values. And he also improved that team in terms of his projected points by one position, uh, putting him in the 10th slot uh, by that metric. Um, It's almost worse when you look at the value standpoint, Uh, where Curtis paid double value for his players, Eduardo paid nearly three times expected value for Carey Price, Tuka Rask, and oddly uh, Dominic Kubelik, uh, who was projected as a $1 player, um, and Eduardo paid the league minimum keeper fee of $10 for him, so a little brutal there on the Chicago forward. It's also rough when you pay 10 times the expected price for a player, but Kubelik's actually uh, Eduardo's second-leading scorer this week with 11.9 points. Uh, Only Nick Backstrom is outscoring him currently on the roster. Uh, Of course, damn near all of those points came in one game this week when Kubelik posted two goals and an assist in a losing effort to the undefeated undefeated Florida Panthers. Uh, Yeah, so uh, of course Florida's only played two games so far, where others in the division have played four, but... Even so, those two games give him a five-way tie for first place in the division with four points. So, on a fun note, uh, the Dallas Stars have actually yet to play a game. And, you know, sports and COVID is, is weird like that. Anyway, in uh, Kublik's other three outings, uh, also losses, he's averaged half a point. So, while my initial read on the situation was maybe Eduardo knew something that we didn't, it kind of looks more like, does he, though? Um, of course, Eduardo was making the whole league wonder if he did know something that we didn't uh, in the draft itself. Uh, By the time the dust settled, he had actually rostered five goalies. And prior to this season, it was super common for teams to only have three goalies for the entire season, uh, opting to roll with uh, top-tier starters and a strong platoon. But Eduardo's goalie frenzy kind of jacked the league up. Uh, All of a sudden, one team has six goalies, two teams have five, and four more teams have four goalies apiece. Uh, For me personally, I I typically run three goalies, unless I'm stuck with a weaker platoon split and I have someone not getting that many starts. And then, you know, you look for somebody else who's similar and and add a fourth. But now, even though we're only a week into the league, I can't really imagine not having a fourth goalie going forward. The advantages are are kind of insane, especially if you can get some top goalies and they're cheap. Um, If you apply your keepers right, uh, you know, get those cheap goalies and snag a couple more goalies in the draft, you're going to leave some teams at a devastating disadvantage. I don't know if that was Eduardo's long game here, though, as he ended up with five goalies on his roster and two of which are are from uh, the Dallas Stars. And so they have zero points on the season so far. Um, so he overpays for Carey Price uh, and Tuukka Rask by a combined $197 in the keeper draft. But that feels kind of forgivable given that they're both proven commodities. Uh, but then he dropped $99 on Ben Bishop and Anton Kubodin, whose team hasn't even seen the ice yet. Um, he dropped an additional $11 on Rask's backup, uh, Jaroslav Halak. And it really seems as if he was just trying to handcuff his goalies like people do running backs in fantasy football leagues. Uh, So far, it hasn't worked out. Uh, He actually had to drop in Bishop, uh, who was out for at least a couple of months with a knee injury. Uh, But at only $3 for him individually, it's really not that devastating of a waste. Uh, Halak had his first outing on the 16th and performed decent, um, giving up two goals and 31 shots uh, in a losing effort. Uh, He was actually in that game until the third period uh, with the game tied 1-1. But the Devils outshot the Bruins 11-5 in that period. So it's hard to pin that loss specifically on, on Jaroslav. So really, with his goalie situation, Eduardo is counting on Carey Price entering his 14th NHL season to hold on to his form that made him the third-highest-scoring goalie last season. Uh, he's counting on the Dallas Stars to actually play a hockey game this year, this season, and the Bruins to win a lot of games while he shuffles in Rask or Halak, depending on uh, who's getting the start. And while we're kind of talking about who's getting the start... A little pro tip for people who um, haven't had to manage goalies before. Uh, If you don't know if your goalie is going to be starting tonight and you have choices to make, I use dailyfaceoff.com. They haven't steered me wrong yet. I'll drop a link on the blog page so that you can save it to your favorites. Um, Or you can just Google uh, NHL starting goalies, and it'll give you an update for who's going to go tonight and who's going to sit. So anyway, as comical as it may seem for Eduardo to overpaid for five goalies on his roster, his goaltending squad is actually in way better shape than I expected. Uh, Dallas should actually kick their season off on Friday the 22nd. Uh, They were delayed due to a COVID outbreak on their team. And while Price's first game was kind of a shit show, giving up five goals on 34 shots, he bounced back with a near nine point performance, posting 34 saves and one goal allowed on a win uh, on the 16th. So as of the time of my note taking, um, he sat out the game on the 18th, but he's expected to start against Vancouver on the 20th. Uh, Price's goals against average has always been a little sketchy hovering around two and a half for his career, but his real value is in his volume. Uh, if you exclude the 2014-15 regular season when injuries limited into 12 regular season starts, he's averaged 60 games per season in the last seven years. And that includes 58 starts in the plague short 2019-2020 um, season. So long story short, the Canadians probably should hire grief counselors for when Kerry Price retires. Um, There's going to be some severe separation anxiety. Uh, Likewise, Boston isn't off to the hottest start in the mass mutual NHL East division, but sports still has them favored to win the division. Uh, Their odds tied with the flyers, but still twice as strong as the the odds of the Pittsburgh Penguins winning and 10 times better than the odds of the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, New York's ninth favorite sports franchise behind the Harlem globe but just ahead of that New York city soccer club. Of course, like all of our managers at the bottom of the league, Lineup management would benefit Eduardo well. Uh, He's got Boston's platoon, but he left 3.2 points on the bench for Jaroslav Halak's first start on the 16th. Uh, Besides his goalies, Eduardo has some good name recognition in his skaters too. Uh, Blog favorite and American hero TJ Oshie already has a goal and three assists on the season. Uh, Blog nemesis and former curly-headed ginger fuck Claude Giroux has three assists. Uh, Nick Backstrom has real star power, and Braden Shin is a nice flexible center left-wing complement. His blue line looks decent as well. Uh, he doesn't have a frontline star like Brent Burns, but Matt Dumba already has a goal and an assist up in Minnesota. Uh, Shea Theodore has two assists and a whopping 12 shots on goal in this young season. And Zidane Ochara, the mummified Yeti, is still out there blocking shots and frightening children. All in all, it's not a bad roster. It just locks that, locks that star power pop that can post 20 points in any given week. Okay, so I'm looking at Eduardo's matchup this week, and we're bitching about him taking five goalies and changing the league and all that, right? So he's playing David, uh, who's the only person to actually draft more goalies than Eduardo, picking up six. So Eduardo drafts Ben Bishop for $3, sees him on IR, uh, drops him to roll with Kabodan. David, of course, drops Corey Crawford, uh, who he spent $2 on in the draft. Uh, But Crawford retired, by the way. That's how ridiculous drafting goalies got this year. We were drafting people that uh, retired. Uh, And then David turns around and picks up Ben Bishop for $3 and stashes him on IR. So Ben Bishop has been paid six fantasy dollars so far this year and may never actually play. I guess David just couldn't exist without a six goalie. I don't know. Uh, What a time to be alive. That $3 move brought David's cap space down to $7, by the way, um, which is rough this early in the season. So savvy or insane, it's it's difficult to say, right? So moving on. Uh, Now is the moment that I feel like everybody's been waiting for. Uh, The breakdown of the broken down, the tour of the haunted house of hockey, uh, Ashton's roster. Um, Yeah, we'll uh, we'll kick off with my rankings here where it's it's pretty unanimous. Uh, Ashton's roster is the the worst. Uh, Her projected points on the season are nearly 400 fewer than second to last place. Uh, To put that in perspective, there's only about a 400 point gap between second to last place and first place. So that 2nd that to last place the last place drop is pretty big. Uh, her average goalie ranking is 100 points behind the second-to-last-place goalie rankings, uh, despite only having three goalies on her roster. Um, she fares a little better in defense, where she ranks 10th, and surprisingly strong at forward, where she ranks 5th, but we'll talk about that lie um, here in a moment. Uh, overall, her uh, average unit puts her 11 out of 12, thanks to David burning six roster spots on goalies. Um, but her $10 of cap space leaves her disadvantaged as well. If we move on to Jacob's value rankings, Ashton actually didn't do too bad. She did overspend by about $106 according to Jacob's figures, but I would dispute that honestly. And here's where we get into kind of like the different stories that data can tell, right? So Yahoo had Matthew's pre-draft value estimated at $53. But when I talk about these different values, I'm going to adjust them up to our league cap. Yahoo's default is a $200 league. We run with an $800 league to kind of be more in line with the NHL's actual salary cap, right? So when Yahoo said that Matthew's pre-draft value is $53, you have to multiply that by four to kind of match our larger cap. And that puts the Toronto Center at about $212. Jacob's calculations, which he arrived at by canvassing multiple sites puts Matthews' value closer to 150 which I wouldn't say is way off base, but as Jacob admitted, when he was doing his research, it's really hard to find these other sites that will project the player's value and consider the points that they're going to score under your league formatting. When we look at Yahoo's projected point totals, it's adjusting for our league settings. Um, so I still feel like in a 12-team league, I would really argue that putting Matthews at $150 value is, is really low. Um, I feel like if Jacob were to plot this out in a z-score, you know, um, standard deviations, which he loves to do, I'm, I'm pretty sure the data would support overpaying for a top-tier scorer like Matthews. In terms of projected salary, there are 10 players who are worth $50 or more, and then eight players between 40 and 50. If you're going to try to get a top fit 10 player, and especially in a 12-team league, you're going to overpay. Uh, it's like the Futurama episode, you know, where Fry has that last can of sardines in existence, right? All Fry wants to do is put it on a on a on a pizza. He just wants a pizza with sardines because he's disgusting. But the whole world is freaking out and bidding the price up to billions of dollars. That's economics. It's scarcity. Uh, if if you're you know one of the very few uh, left out there of a certain thing, the price is going to jump. Um, and so really, what I'm saying is, is you've got to get on my level, Jacob. Don't don't come in here with these weak, undervalued price tags. Like you know better. You know better. Of course, if you look at Yahoo's actual draft results, right? So this is post-draft. They, they project rankings out. They say, oh, this player should cost about $50. But then they look at it after the draft and see what the average price was that they went for. Uh, Matthews um, actually went for an average cost of $242 uh, in our league money. So if you consider $212 to be the marker, Ashton overpaid by about $20. Bucks. She paid $232 for, for Austin Matthews. But if you take the uh, the what actually happened, the real world figure, the real world average for for Matthews, Ashton actually underpaid by ten dollars. And in all, I think paying the premium to keep Yahoo last year's third best scorer in the Yahoo league uh, off the market is well worth it. Like you don't want to release him and have him actually go to auction. Of course, you could say the same thing about our second keeper, Victor Hedman, uh, last year's fifth best defensive player in our league, and he had a pre-draft value of two hundred dollars according to Yahoo. Um, Ashton stagged him for 111. Um, if you consider that in all Ashton underpaid for Matthews and Hedman, um, who was the 10th overall rated player pre-draft, uh, by $69, which would have actually put Ashton all the way up in sixth place in terms of grabbing pre-draft value. Of course, that third keeper is where all this shit gets a little sideways and where I have to kind of make a confession about how we set the league up. Um, am I, am I defending Ashton's keepers a little too aggressively? Maybe. And that's maybe because I chose the keepers for Ashton, Mike, and Dave Young. Um, they just they just couldn't find time to make it work. Dave was sick. I still don't know if Mike actually exists, and Ashton was busy with work and didn't really have time to review any of it. Um, so yeah, maybe I feel a little bad about fucking her roster over so aggressively. I mean, I don't regret Matthews or, her- or They're They're great. I'll defend those all day long. But if getting Kuznets off was an indefensible decision that I feel horrible for, I mean, he's not completely without value, right? Yahoo showed his pre draft value at $88. Um, his actual uh, cost actually only being up $48. Um, and that's just because a lot of the money migrates towards the top of the draft, right? Uh, But still, the the keeper cost was only $34. So it felt like a little bit of a steal. Um, And really, when I was making that third pick, I didn't know what to do. So I was just like, okay, let's just get her value. Let's focus on value and make sure that we save her some cap money for the draft. But she could have, I could have, I should have kept Frederick Anderson, um, who started three out of four games for Toronto so far. He's put up 10.8 points. She definitely would have overpaid probably a lot, right? But her entire goalie core hasn't scored 10 points yet on the season. She's got James Reimer, uh, who's played one out of Carolina's first four games, uh, Jimmy Howard, who is retiring, uh, and Calvin Peterson, who is the backup on the winless Los Angeles Kings. So when I looked across to all the declared keepers and I saw that nine goalies were already off the board, I should have thought, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and overpay here. Let's, let's go ahead and lock up, you know, a frontline goalie for this roster. But instead, you know, I got caught up looking for value and trusting Yahoo to grab at least a decent starter, you know, in the auto draft. But ultimately, Yahoo waited until the very absolute end to grab goalies for Ashton. And I mean, you can look at a roster. It's it's absolutely in pain, but it gets even worse. So when you think about that fifth rated Ford group that I mentioned in the beginning, Yahoo's auto-draft decided that Ashton's big-ticket item in the draft was going to be David Pasternak and dropped $151 on last year's fourth leading scorer. Pasternak's on IR. Um, He has a hip injury, and it doesn't look like he was ever going to start the season. It's likely that he's out until mid-February. So not only did we screw up in terms of what we were keeping, Yahoo, for some stupid reason, picked a player that... Wasn't going to play, and not only that, but paid you know a pretty healthy chunk of cash for it, right? Um, I mean, ultimately, if you would have compared it to Yahoo's actual pre draft rankings, it would have been a steal, but I mean, when you compare it to the real world situation where Pasternak's not actually playing, um, it's it's devastating. Um, so if you drop Pasternak from her roster ratings, um, if you consider him just an IR or that he's going to be putting up zero points, or just consider him a non issue at the moment. Her forward group drops all the way from 5th best to 11th best. And her average position, um, in terms of like the all of the different units on our team, drops past David, leaps past David uh, for last place, which is, which is pretty tragic. Um, the one thing that you can say for Ashton so far this season is that she's at least setting her lineup. Um, except for on Tuesday, when even though I freaking reminded her, uh, she left her, her keeper, Kuznetsov, uh, on the bench and forfeited 5.5 points which would be useful in our matchup, obviously. So get your shit together, Ashton. Come on. Still, there may be hope for um, if a willing trade partner comes along. But trades are one of those things that don't happen very often in our league, and it really kind of makes sense. Um, It's difficult to make things work within our cap restrictions. And if you look at most of the drafting strategies, it's kind of a very studs and duds approach, right? Uh, 28% of our league contracts are between $20 and $70. I kind of consider that like your mid-level contracts, that group of people that you're paying a decent chunk of money for, but they're not your stars and they're not your you know, cheapies that fill in your roster. Um, that leaves 51% of our contracts that are $20 or less. And 55% of that group are $5 or less. So what you really have is you've got a good, healthy chunk, about 25%, of, of value locked up in these players that are anywhere from like $70 to $250. Then you have about 25% of the league value between $20 and $70. And then everything else is is below, you know, that $20 or less. And that's, that's pretty brutal. So say you wanted to snag a $100 player off of another team, but you don't have much cap space, right? You can't afford to take a hit. You might have a $50 player and a $60 player to send for the $100 player, but now you need $10 in there somewhere to make the cap work. That's how it should work. But with so few of those like mid-level contracts, it's it's really, really difficult to build a trade deal together that kind of balances out the salary cap. And it, it, it definitely stifles movement, right? Uh, it only gets worse as the season goes on, right? And you ship people to IR or you waive them and you replace them with $1 players that you pull off waivers. And I can't tell you how many seasons I've looked at my draft results and realized that I cut a $30 player who would have been super useful in a trade and raged that I only have... One $100 player and one $1 player on my roster, and there's no way that I can make a deal work. So then, couple that with challenges that the league doesn't communicate all that well, and honestly, that um, kind of figuring out those cap figures is also a struggle. Like, I get that it's kind of confusing and it can be difficult to figure out what the draft value is for players, and trades just don't happen that often in our league. Still, Ashton does have some pieces that might make a move enticing to some. So we'll see if anybody can build a package that gets her attention. Um, she's obviously looking for a goalie, uh, you know, throw it out there. Um, so yeah, I've, I've talked a lot about how Jacob's methodology differs from my own, but one of the useful things about Yahoo's point projections is that it does take our league scoring into account, right? Um, and that seems to be a super useful marker. And when you compare Yahoo's projections to, um, what we have in our league, it's nice to see that the three teams that we've deemed as having the lowest projected point totals for the season are actually the three teams that are scoring the worst so far this week. Uh, Ashton and Curtis are currently battling it out for that coveted last place spot in the league, uh, while Eduardo drew a much tougher challenge in the Johnson, David, uh, whose team we won't look at for a couple of weeks still, um, uh, which is a good thing, David, in case you're wondering. So in all this group is going to have a really tough go of things. Um, but at least Curtis and Eduardo have some cap space to play with, right? Which makes them way more threatening to Ashton uh, than Ashton. Um, but unless they do manage a major roster overhaul, it's, it's only a very, very minor threat. So I don't know, look to see if there's some movement between, from those teams, um, maybe put together a trade package for them, see what you can do to help them out. But, uh, really the bottom three tend to end up being the bottom three all season, right? And those are the people that tend to check out and stop setting the roster. Um, so my big ask obviously is just, just keep your head in the game. Have fun. Um, talk some completely unnecessary trash. Um, you know, Eduardo tell David that he sucks. Um, we'll back you up. We'll, we'll agree. It's cool. So anyway, uh, that wraps up the draft review for the bottom quarter of our league. Uh, These will probably get a bit more interesting as we start to see stats for players and see if they're actually playing up to their value. But in the middle of week one, uh, projections are are definitely all we've got. So yeah, that's it for the moment. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break and then I'm going to have Isaiah on the line. And he's going to be joining me on our non-sponsored call line to talk about a hockey movie that neither of us have seen, uh, Odd Man Rush. So I hope you stick around. All right. Uh, joining me today on our uh, unsponsored uh, Skype hotline here uh, is Isaiah, uh, owner of Isaiah's hockey team. He actually gave his team a name this year. Uh, not a, a super original name, though, but a name nonetheless. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Yeah? I'm excited. All right. I'm excited, too. You put a lot of effort into this. I was really Really surprised, especially when you started like freeze framing the video and sending me pictures of things that you saw on the blackboard. <laughs> I knew that I might be in trouble because you went way deeper into this than I did. But uh, before we start talking about the movie, uh, I wanted to talk about Patrick Mahomes for a minute. Um, obviously, he's been cleared to play, yeah. Um, so he he cleared concussion protocol. Yep. But I watched that hit so many different times, and I can see like maybe how he might have gotten a concussion. But like at the same time, it didn't it didn't feel concussiony to me. So I was kind of wondering what what you saw like when you saw the hit.
1: Man, I watched it so many times too, and it's weird because you hear so many different uh, people's you know reviews on the situation. Like, oh, he didn't even hit his head. But to me, I feel like I clearly saw the front of his head, his forehead bounce off the ground. Yeah, and man. as soon as he does, like the his facial expression goes blank he immediately loses grip of the football um it it looked like a concussion to me
0: yeah and then I, obviously I when he agree.
1: stands up he had the jello legs
0: yeah and there are a couple of other things in there too he definitely hit the front of his helmet on the grass and you know one of the things that's the least forgiving things of all is the ground right especially on a cold day hitting the ground yes it's hard yep There's also the component where when um, the linebacker kind of let go, um, because he had his head pinched really far forward, his head bounces back. um, Not super aggressively, but you know, whiplash can cause a mild concussion, you know, just as much as anything. But the other thing is physical reaction. When he hits the ground, if like you look at the replay close enough, his left arm and his left leg go like lock out in front of him. And that's one of those things that you see in fights when somebody gets like knocked out cold. Their, their arms and legs just kind of walk up, like almost in a weird defensive position.
1: Yep. And, I don't know, it, it had all the telltale signs of a, of a concussion to me. I know, I don't know if it was the Chiefs um, saying it themselves, but they were talking about how it might be a nerve injury in the neck. Yeah. But that sounded yeah. to me like uh, an excuse for, they're going to have him play no matter what, even if he's still... <laughs> Yeah, clear a concussion protocol. And I can see you know how like, it could have been it. a pinched
0: nerve. And a pinched nerve, you know, you could lose feeling in your legs or whatever. But I'm kind of with you. Like, that makes it sound less severe. I guess the encouraging thing is, is that the Chiefs aren't really in control of that concussion protocol, right? Like, it's independent doctors that have to clear him and say that he's ready to go. I, I think the disappointing thing is, is that regardless of what the injury actually was, nobody is ever going to tell us, right? Like, an NFL team would yeah, never exactly. be honest about that.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, those those doctors are being paid by the team, though. Um, yeah. They're being paid by the NFL. The Patrick Mahomes is too big not to play in this game, yeah, I think that's... he was going to play no matter what. Because the way he got up, the way his head bounced off the ground, he had a concussion to me. Yeah. It was and encouraging it was, to see him run was, off the field. Yeah, it was. That was nice, too. Um, but, I mean... A concussion, you don't feel the effects from it immediately. Um it's something that you feel the day after, you know, the week after it. You know what I mean? It's like your brain essentially is being bruised. You're not gonna feel it right away. Like if I punched you on the arm, it might hurt. But the next day your arm's gonna be sore, there's gonna be a bruise there. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's gonna be tight for the rest of the week.
0: How many uh how many concussions do you think you've had?
1: Uh I wanna say I've definitely had two concussions. I've hit my head hard enough um a couple of times that I felt it for about a week.
0: Yeah. I think I've had one. Uh it was a sledding accident, uh down Hillsdale Lake, uh on the dam. Yeah. I was on inner tube and I flew off the back of the inner tube when you hit that little rock lip that's a ways down there, right? Those inner tubes fly. And I landed oh, yeah. square like on the back of my head, and my shoulders and Yep. I, was a, I was a wreck for a good seven to ten days afterwards. It, it was persistent headaches. It was just a nightmare. I, I mean, I can't yep. imagine getting that multiple times. But, uh, yeah, so, so moving on. Uh, so moving into our movie. Um, well, I guess Let's before be we go there, do you have any predictions for the game itself? What do, what do you think the final score
1: is going to be? Uh, the final score, if it doesn't start raining, which I don't think it does, it just looks kind of um, cloudy, a little bit cold. Not as close cool as I thought it would be, but obviously I'm biased. I'm going to pick the Chiefs. Yeah. I'm a homer. I have to pick the Chiefs.
0: <laughs> you think um, uh, like a 10 point victory, seven point victory?
1: I want to say I'm going to, like, this honest, too. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to come out having something to prove. Everybody's comparing uh, Josh Allen to him, you know, saying that he's right there with him now. Our defense is going to step up. They always do in a big game like this. Um, I want to say that we win by 10-plus. Okay, a big
0: a big win then. All right. I just wanted to get you on the record, whatever your prediction was, uh, that you can never take back. Um, I feel like <laughs> as long as we can control Stephon Diggs, you know, the NFL leading receiver, because yeah. um, our yeah. secondary has been a little suspect at times. I feel like as long as we can control him, then we're going to be in the driver's seat of the game. We should be fine.
1: Right, and uh, Rashad Breland is playing today, so yeah, yeah, that'll big. definitely help out a lot, too. Yeah.
0: All right, all right. So moving on uh, to hockey movies. Um, before we start on the movie itself, do you feel like this was the hardest you've worked on breaking down, like, a single piece of media since, what, like, like book reports in high school, maybe a college paper or something?
1: Yeah, it definitely was, but it was kind of fun. Yeah, because was a movie that I wanted to watch. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's way more fun to do stuff like this when it's voluntary and nobody's like shouting down your throat and telling you that they're going to fail you if you don't. Right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. All right. So, so the setup for for this movie itself. So it's it's a based on a memoir by Bill Keenan, uh, who did play hockey at Harvard and did travel um, to like Sweden, Germany, uh, throughout Europe, um, trying to make his NHL dreams come true. Um, the main character they, they renamed for the movie to Bobby Sanders, right? So he is a Harvard grad, looks an yep. awful lot like like Mike Myers, the the actor, um, with his <laughs> stupid haircut. Um, yeah. And obviously his only dream is to go to the NHL, uh, but he gets injured early on, right? Really jacks his spine up. Uh, has to have a couple of surgeries, is told that he shouldn't play, but, you know, if you go for enough second opinions, somebody's going to finally clear you, right? Yep, Exactly. So, he finds himself in Sweden. Um, but when you realized that this was a book, you, like, really went back and started looking into different things. And, obviously, you know, a Harvard grad, you started looking for, like, a lot of deeper meaning in the book. Um, yeah. Were sending me, like, little frozen screenshots from the chalkboard, just, like, really looking into the things that were said. Um, what, kind of, what kind of spurred you on? Like, what did you find on your journey? What were you looking
1: for? Um... Well, I wasn't really looking for anything, but once I found out that we were doing this podcast on this movie, I had no idea it was written um, by a Harvard grad or that it was a book or a memoir until I started doing research on it. Um, But I just thought it was really interesting. It's obviously based on a true story. Um, And like you said, the guy being from Harvard, there's no way that, you know, how smart he is or... Perceived to be because he graduated from Harvard, that he wasn't going to put, you know, a lot of stuff into this movie that makes you think about it, yeah. or that you wouldn't see the first time watching it, which I didn't. A lot of the stuff I did not see or, uh, you know, take note of until I watched it the second time. Yeah. Prepping yeah. for this podcast.
0: I mean, I do wonder, um, you know, hockey player, how many times he's bounced his head off the ice, and you know. Oh, yeah. You could graduate from Harvard and then destroy your brain well after the fact, right? Like, <laughs> who knows? Um, but I think like yeah. after you got really interested in it, it made me want to go back and actually like read the book, so that's something that I'm probably going to do next off here. Uh, I know. I kind of want to read the book, too. In the the movie itself, they reference two different hockey players. Uh, the first one, and they play some highlights um, of Stefan Matto um, when he scores yeah. a game-winning goal in the playoffs for the New York Rangers. Obviously, he's a real hockey player. Yeah. Um, he wasn't yeah. Quite the nobody that they set him up to be in the beginning of the movie. Um, he wasn't a consistent NHLer, but he played um, in 13 straight seasons. He had 144 goals. He had 172 assists. Right, so he yeah. he bounced around from the minors to the NHL quite a few times. But for 13 consistent years, you know, he was an NHLer. The other one that um, they references is, is the main character Bobby's best friend Mike Sullivan. And as yeah. far as I could tell, he doesn't exist right like he's not that whatever his name is that's not who it was but you went back and right. i looked up the name of the person in the movie but you went back and you figured out who it actually was
1: yeah um played with uh dylan reese and alex Kilborn at harvard right
0: yeah so it could have been i guess either one of those two players that was supposed to be his best friend character in the movie um, right, and again, I'm not
1: sure who it was exactly, but I don't know. Um, what team did the guy play for in the movie, his best friend?
0: Uh, he was drafted by the Penguins and then was traded to the Rangers.
1: Did either one of those guys ever play for the Rangers? Nah, I don't know, maybe. I could Google uh, yeah, it, I don't but
0: keystrokes about... are really loud on my microphone, so you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the other interesting tidbit was um, the future NBA player that he went to school with. Um, yeah. That was really cool. Yeah, so Jeremy Lynn went to Harvard at the same time as Keenan, um, and you wouldn't think of Harvard as a school that's pumping out professional athletes, but they right. are a bit of a hockey school, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I had no oh. idea. I didn't even know they had a basketball
0: team. <laughs> yeah, like that was crazy. That's really Jer- cool. Though, when Lin's sanity broke in New York City, you're like, wait, what? What is this? Like, yeah, Harvard. That was huge. I remember that.
1: It was short lived, but it was awesome.
0: Yeah, he's still in the league, um, I, I'm pretty sure. Much much yeah, more of is. a fit player now, but, you know. Uh, right. I like the the setup, though, when they're talking about Stefan Matto. Um, he, he's talking about his memory of that game, and, you know, obviously they set up his childhood. He's this just massive hockey fan, and hockey's all that he could think about. Uh, and you are talking about how um, there's a lot of allegory in this movie and how there's a lot of deeper meaning. I felt like it was sort of, from the very beginning, kind of in your face, um, because there's this quote that sets it up. And he says, as long as you're on the ice, you have a chance. And then he says that Matto gave me a thumbs up. Right, So he's on the bus getting ready to go to a game. Um, That night that Matto scored the game-winning goal, he gives him a thumbs up. They pull up on the bus. There's a little kid looking right at him. And the kid flips him off. Yeah. And like at that moment I'm like, okay, this is obviously not going to be a story that has a happy ending, right? Like it's not Stephon right. toe. This is something completely different.
1: Yep. <laughs> and I think uh like I was telling you before, I think the little kid, um obviously there's a lot of I think there is, you know, underlying meanings, hidden meanings that little kid is him flipping himself off, you know, saying, Hey, um, your future is not what you think it's going to be, but I think it's cool that whole Stefan matto which, by the way, I tried to Google him too. I turned on, I didn't, uh, I didn't turn on closed captioning before oh, I tried yeah. to Google it. I guess there's an, there's another Stefan matto that's playing in the NHL right now, so I got very confused <laughs> um, before I found the original one. Yeah, who would have thought that there's two people named Stefan matto This it's
0: just eternal. He's going to live forever. I like your point about the kid yeah. being him. Like, I didn't think about that. And it's a point that we'll get to later um, as we talk about kind of the end of the movie. But, like, when you say that the kid is him flipping himself off, saying that this wasn't the life that, like, you were supposed to have, that's actually kind of a great point. Um, yeah. I didn't think about that. That's that's actually really insightful. And, I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but um, we'll kind of – we'll we'll refer back to that, that thought that you have there. Okay. When we kind of get found to that section. So um, after all the doctor's appointments and everything, um, the surgeries, all the doctors he's talking to, all of a sudden we find ourselves in Sweden. And um, I feel like they do a really good job of just kind of depicting the life of a Swedish minor league hockey player who's trying to grind his way into like the upper leagues. Um, so yeah. really funny stuff in there. Um, I don't know. Anything stick out to you like from that part of the story?
1: Um, I mean, it's it's you know a typical story of somebody that's hanging on. Um, that's all he knows. That's what he grew up loving, and that was his dream. That's what he went to school for. You know, obviously he got a degree out of it, but uh, you can tell that his heart is still in the game. If you're willing to move to a, an entire another country where you have no idea, you know what you're getting into. You don't know the yeah. language. Um, I love it when the coach is like
0: trying to coach them in Swedish and you know, all the players are like, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what the fuck he's saying. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it makes no sense.
1: Yeah. It is cool. It's, and it's cool how it gets into the whole culture of, you know, what he's getting into, like having to, having to uh, score a goal to get his groceries, right? Yeah. And they get to, they have a credit at that same store. Um, yeah. And they buy the weirdest food, so caviar in a too. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that's... disgusting. <laughs> yeah, there's no, I don't know if that's real caviar or not, but
0: Yeah, the disgusting. <laughs> the first goal of the game gets free groceries cracks me up. Um, yeah. And then going in and realizing that they get store credit because they have a partnership with the grocer, was was pretty funny, too. Yeah. That was really good stuff. That I like really... the first time that he was traded. He was traded for cash to buy a new washer and dryer for the team.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I know. it Reminds me of uh, semi pro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: wish you were a washing machine. <laughs> um, I think that's kind of interesting. Like looking back on it, though, like going back to that little kid, you are right. You talk about him graduating Harvard. He he missed his graduation because he was you know getting yeah. surgery. He even says so. You know, in a scene, um, that little kid wouldn't have expected to find himself there, living in you know a one room hut with bunk beds with some dude named Gabe. And the bathroom is literally up the hill. Like, to go shower, they have to walk up a hill to a standalone, like, restroom facility.
1: Yeah, you have to go through through some weird uh, situations when you're trying to, you know, make it up to a higher level than what you're at right now. And I've been there, too. Like, I play community college football. Those schools do not get any money um, other than for uniforms, and that's really it. Yeah, you go through very very crappy conditions, um, but it's motivation. You know what I mean? It's yeah. motivation to get out of there, um, find something better, and you know, ultimately keep playing the game that you love.
0: Yeah, and it really the environment just seemed like it was normal to him, right? And he meets this girl, Elin, um, who cool. is baffled by a lot of the stuff that he's going through, like, like. Gabe gets cut, and there's a scene, you know, where he signs his contract, and while he's signing his contract, they cut to his roommate, you know, this person who he's been living with for who knows how long, is literally yeah. loading all of his gear into a cab and driving somewhere else, like he's leaving. And Elan's asking him, like, well, you didn't even say goodbye? Like, this was your your roommate, essentially your, your best friend here. You didn't call him, you didn't say goodbye, and... To him, he's just like, that's that's normal. That's what this life is like. Yeah.
1: Yep, yeah, it is. It's uh from the time he was a kid playing hockey, you know, tryouts. You see guys come and go. Some of those guys are friends that you go to school with. You yeah. don't make the team, but you got to keep going. And then, obviously, in college, people get cut too. don't make scholarship. You're roommates with people, um, and they're gone the next day. I Again, I went through that same situation, um, playing football with somebody that – you know, they obviously dorm people um, in that same position groups together. Yeah. Um, I was roommates with a guy. He got cut the first week, and we were really cool. I was sad, though, because he took his freaking PlayStation. I couldn't play <laughs> Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> he took our video games <laughs> on. Yeah, exactly. He did. But, I mean, it happens. You get used to it. You know what I mean? You can't yeah. hold on to those. and. It sucks because some of those people you do become really good friends with. But uh, you just kind of, it becomes a habit. It becomes a lifestyle. Yeah. these guys come and go. And then Um, they're just
0: gone. And for you, you know, in that situation, uh, for Bobby, it's all about the hockey. And so it's like, yeah, we can be friends. But since we're not hockey teammates anymore, it's not, there's no malice there. It's not like you're like, I don't like you anymore. It's just that you're not a part of what I want to be a part of. And I don't have time for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's all they knew about each other. That's how they bonded was hockey. Yeah. You know what I mean? It'd be a slap in the face every time you talk to him saying, yeah. you know, talking about, oh, what are you doing? Oh, hey, I'm still on the team. I'm practicing today. Yeah, um, You know what I mean?
0: Well, it was kind of devastating to have that moment, too. When he's signing the contract, the coach is literally telling him that U.S. players are expensive. And yeah you know he signed that contract and he obviously at that moment he's excited but then he's like and then it it dawned on me that one man's success is another man's failure and that's very true in the athletics world for every person who makes the team there's somebody in that position who is not going to make the team there's cuts left and right but again it's not a real world situation you know there's plenty of room for all of us to be successful in the real world depending on what our passions right. are and what we're trying to succeed but that's not a world that he's a part of. The world that he's a part of is every time he wins, somebody else has to lose. Yeah, brutal. And Elon yeah. doesn't get it, and you kind of see that happen with their relationship too as it develops. Um, it seems like all of his conversations navigate back towards hockey, and she's talking about yeah. like her dreams, like what she wants to do in her life. She wants to go to New York City. She wants to see all these art galleries. She wants to do all these different things. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm from New York City. And, like, I could show you those things. And they're, like, no big deal to him. But, like, he doesn't have any dreams aside from getting promoted to the next level. And it makes their relationship really awkward. She just kind of doesn't know where to go with that. And it's because she's not a part of that lifestyle either. Like, he's not living in the world that most people are living in.
1: Right. And it's... It is weird. They do have a weird relationship, but, uh, like you said, he has, I mean, she has all these big dreams outside of, you know, her current life and he has no idea. He has no dreams outside of his current life. He's trying to live his dream. Um, so he doesn't, he's not really thinking ahead like she is, you know what I mean? He's just, he's living in the moment. Um, he still thinks he's living his dream, but in reality he's not.
0: Yeah. I love, I love like, Elon pulls the ultimate power move on him. Um, you know, he talks about how it's just normal for, you know, his roommate to just disappear one day and he doesn't hear from him again. Um, you know, there's that moment where she's thinking about telling him that she got a position and she's moving to New York City. Um, yeah. But, you know, obviously his head's not there. There's no... She's not going to break through in that conversation because he's just injured himself, right? And so that's yeah. all he can think about. And so she knows that. She stops. And then she just, like up and leaves and sends him a postcard and a rag doll from New York City. I'm like, that was (laughs) the ultimate, like, power play.
1: Yeah. No, it was smart, though. I mean, she's trying to uh, relate to him in a way that he can understand, you know what I mean? Yeah, Uh, yeah, exactly. And it worked. Um, He didn't know what he wanted after hockey, and she kind of gave that to him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, she, she actually just kind of went in and, and played the same game that he's been playing. And it's just like, I'm leaving. Yeah. Like, it's not a big deal. Um, ultimately, it probably is a big deal. And I don't think that we'll ever know what happens with their relationship, right? Unless we actually go read the book. Because that's not something that they ever actually resolve. And that's not what the story's right. about. The story's not about the relationship. That's just one of those things that they throw in your face to kind of let you know that he's not living in a world that we're used to. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. All right. It would be interesting, though, to find out what happens after the end of the movie. Um, you know, whether he moves back to New York and actually finds her, meets up with her, and they continue their relationship or not. That would yeah. be very interesting. Because I wonder, because it is based on a true story, it's a memoir, if that is the girl that um, Kenan ended up marrying, or I don't know if he's married or not, but... yeah.
0: Well, I do wonder if, uh, if like, he has a career in hockey. Like, there's a lot of, of questions that I have about, like, what his life became that we're not going to get out of the movie. Because the movie's very much just about, you know, how do you break out of this life yeah. that he's living. And that's yeah. one of the things that I, I really, I felt like it was really, like, hitting you in the face with its theme. Um, he's in this world, and you can tell he's not supposed to be there. Like, one of the things that I was really distracted by early on was the way he skates. He's the least athletic looking person in everything that he's doing, but he's like a top goal scorer in this league. So he's scoring all these goals, but like he looks so rigid and uncomfortable. And I, at first I was like, is this supposed to be because he's like, like legitimately just like a bad skater, but he's the actor that they wanted to play it. And they don't tell you super frequently about his injury. Like, you know about it in the very beginning of the movie. There's a scene where his best friend asks him, "How's your How's your injury doing?" And he doesn't answer the question. He ignores it. Yeah. Um, but you kind of go on to find out that like he skates that way because he can't move. His spine's all jacked up. Like he has no. He's rigid. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you like, you know he doesn't belong there.
1: Right. That's uh no that's a good point though I didn't really think about that until um you said it but again it might be. Just a bad casting. I don't know. I'm not saying he did a bad job acting, but uh, when it comes to playing that role where you do have to show some athleticism, he didn't look very yeah. athletic. If you're right about that. He looks And I don't awesome. know, maybe, maybe they did want him to, you know, skate that way or look that way, showing that, you know, he's injured the entire yeah. time trying to play through it.
0: I kind of feel like it was intentional, especially in the scenes where, like, they're kneeling on the ice. You can see that, like, He's dis- hes hes in discomfort. Like he—he he does not comfortable in certain positions, and, and so I feel like yeah. it was intentional. But I feel like they were really subtle with that whole thing about his injury being the reason why his career isn't where he wanted it to be, and it was just more about like his career is definitely not what he expected it to be. Um, yeah, I think one of the the funny things in the movie to me was that um, the only universal thing for everybody on the team because there are people from all over the world um, on this particular team was McDonald's.
1: Yeah. And it's weird. It was, uh, if you go to any other country, I mean, McDonald's is all over the world, right? Yeah. But if you go to a foreign, a foreign country, um, and go to a McDonald's there, you expect them to have, you know, crazy different items. Cause I know like, you go online to look up McDonald's menu in Japan. It's, it's weird. Yeah. You know what I mean? But where they're at, it looked very similar to what you could get at McDonald's here in Kansas.
0: Yeah, except for one thing. Um, They got a McFlurry. And yeah. we all know that you can't get ice cream from McDonald's because their stupid machine's always broken. So <laughs> that was some crap.
1: I know, the, but they live in a, a country that's always frozen. You better have some ice cream. Oh, that's true. That's good. Like I it just out. set it
0: outside, hand <laughs> yeah, churn exactly. it in the back lot, that's pretty funny.
1: Um, so, West yeah, grass, they were all sharing the same McFlurry, though.
0: Well, they were all drinking it before it got back to uh, the person who <laughs> yeah. ordered it. Right, which was Dean, yeah. who is Dylan Playfair's character, um, who is Riley from uh, Letterkenny. Uh, he was yeah. the only familiar face in this movie, uh, which was kind of yeah, interesting it to me. Um, he kind of plays a toned-down version of Riley, right? Like he's he's kind of like this womanizing. I don't really care about the details. I play hockey and have fun. Sort of character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the scene where he skips out on practice so he can go to the casino.
1: Yeah, he, yeah. Like you said, he might have a serious gambling. Uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. He's got a, a trillion dollar idea that he won't tell anybody about because he's like holding it really close. I also thought it was funny that he I had know. a uh, he had a standard hookup that was good luck before every game.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, that's a interesting um, character that I'd like to know what happens after the book or the movie too. Yeah, uh, like if there are still friends, if he really did have. You know, a huge idea like that. Yeah, yeah. That um, he actually did have, or may come true. But, well, like, uh,
0: he talks about getting Zuckerberg, I, so, like, he talks about Facebook or whatever. Yeah. But, like, would you want a Harvard uh, grad to kind of review your idea and refine it? Like, that'd be somebody that you'd want on your team if you did have a massive right. idea like that.
1: Yeah. He said Eisenberg. <laughs> yeah. Um, which,
0: obviously that wasn't a thing when this movie uh, or when the, the book was actually written. So they, they upscaled some things yeah. right to modern times. Yeah. Uh, right. I did like Dean's character though, because Dean knew his time was over. Like he knew this was his last year, um, that this was as far as he was going to go. Uh, and I think that he had like a really good influence on the main character, Bobby, just kind of like that perspective that, that yeah. it's over. And one of the things he says is, um is, uh, you've got to you've got to make the decision before the hockey gods make it for you. Right. And uh, go ahead. Yeah, uh, it just it's one of those things that like Bobby's not doing. He's he's forcing people to make these decisions for him. He's not actually stepping up and making a decision for himself.
1: Yeah, um, it's that's uh, one of my favorite quotes from that movie. Though is when they're in that car and he says sometimes you have to find out who you aren't before you find out who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Bobby looks at him like, Oh wow. I wasn't like, did you really just say that? I can't believe that came from you. That was really cool, but it is true. And I think at that, you know, obviously that scene is a little more towards the end of the movie. Yeah. I think at that time, Bobby started realizing, you know, that he's not a hockey player.
0: Yeah. And there's another quote when they're in the car together. Cause Bobby's asking him about, um, his gambling. And he's asking because Dylan, uh Dylan Playfair's character uses that quote, uh, you gotta know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Uh um, yeah. and and Bobby asks him, Well, how do you know when to fold them? And he's like, Well, fuck if I knew that, you know, I'd be at the final table with Phil Ivy. You know, I wouldn't be here in Sweden yeah. playing at casinos. And then he sits there for a second and then he says, If you wanna know if you wanna know when to fold, you play enough hands and you'll figure it out for yourself. And yeah. That's one of those things, too, where it's like, you know, Bobby, you skated enough at this point, you should have been able to figure out when to fold. And it's kind of one of those things that that kind of beats you over the head with it uh, throughout the movie, um, which is kind of the final thing that I want to talk about. Um, But before we get there, we've got to go back to the shootout drill scene, right? Um, Yeah. At multiple points in the movie, they kind of make fun of Bobby because he can't execute in shootouts. (laughs) And so at the end of the hockey practice, they they have the the shootout drill. Uh, Everybody's sitting at center ice. Loser has to grow a mustache, Um, and the last loser's mustache was terrible. So he's breaking away towards the ice, and he starts thinking about Mighty Ducks too, and he's trying to decide what what move to use. And he starts to zone out as he's skating, and he starts thinking about the triple deke. and (laughs) um, and then he's like, Gunner Stall pulls it off, you know, and then he's like, Wait, but Cat stops him, like she stones him. Um, so yeah. like he's got this whole thing going on in his head, and so I figured this was a good opportunity for you to um, defend your take on Mighty Ducks One, uh, that it is a great Let's movie, and uh, and to kind of get your vengeance out there. Because after uh, my write up on the first Mighty Ducks, you were pretty you were pretty upset. Um, you said that I assaulted a, a childhood dream of yours that I was ruining uh, one of your favorite movies.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, childhood classic, man. It doesn't matter how old you get, you'll always love that movie. Um, Any childhood classic But uh, Obviously I know the play is not Not real but I went into a pretty good depth about Why uh, Why it was plausible Um, That video you sent me Of the uh, What's it called What's that YouTube channel called Um, Um, You know with the ducks Um, Oh yeah yeah the true
0: facts Yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah the true facts that's it I don't know. It's pretty funny, though. It, uh, I did. It, they I saw a couple videos of it. They tried, uh, oh, I forgot what team it was, but on a power play, they tried a version of the Flying V three times, and finally it was successful. So it did happen in the real game, by the way. All right, And then it also happened in, in an all-star game uh, when they tried to do the trick shots. Yeah. You know what I mean, with the team.
0: Yeah, the breakaway challenge thing I don't think counts um, just because it's an all-star game, and I don't think the goalies are actually trying in those things because it's more about fun. Right. I'm going to have to go back and figure out where this actually happened on a power play, though.
1: Hell yeah, dude. They tried it three times, and it worked.
0: That's an awful lot of failure, though. I (laughs) promise. That's an
1: awful lot of failure. (laughs) Um, But no, if you go back in, that gif I sent you uh, that I made, it's pretty funny, like talking about ducks having corkscrew penises. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. The female ducks having like dummy holes. Um, I don't know. It's just in my mind, it set itself up after you of me that movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it played out in that. It played out in that scene perfectly. Um, in Mighty Ducks, they, uh, I don't know. Obviously they didn't try too hard. Yeah. But you block each guy gets blocked. guy going down the middle freezes. He's one on one. And then he just falls off and lets the guy go past him and score. Yeah, but that'd be like—I so know that's not real.
0: Inter- that'd be interference today too. Like if uh, the offensive players started like checking the defensive players to clear stuff out, you can't—you can't do that. That's dirty. That's against the rules. But I mean, okay. So Mighty Ducks is definitely like a classic movie. Like I'm not trying to bomb on it, but uh, but no, not, I'm not. But you showed me uh, that um, Dylan Playfair is—I had no idea
1: that Mighty Ducks was. Uh, becoming a TV show, it's coming out yeah. this year. Yeah, and I looked that up. I got excited about that.
0: So yeah, that he's playing cool. Coach T uh, in the new Mighty Ducks television series, which I think will be fun. Um, I don't know. He seems like a good, a decent actor. You know, for what he does, he's not like a megastar or anything, but he makes me laugh quite yeah. frequently, and he seems like he's pretty good.
1: Yeah, I think he's a decent actor. Um, I feel bad for him though because he went to school. Um, I did a little bit of research on him, but he went to school acting school. He grew up playing hockey, but when he went to college, he went to acting school. Um, and I feel like he's stuck playing um, hockey characters for the rest of his life. That's all he is now.
0: Yeah. But
1: yeah. Uh, his dad was an NHL coach. And like he would show up to practices, and the people on the team would be like, oh, my God, it's um, like, oh, you're that guy from Letterkenny. It's Riley. And so now he's – yeah, he's – I feel like he's stuck. He's always going to be a hockey player in in any movie that he plays.
0: Or a figure skater. I mean, either way.
1: He can skate. (laughs) He's got a niche.
0: I like, though, in that that moment, though, he's zoning out, and then all of a sudden he says to himself, like, this is the stupidest idea I've ever had. And then he comes back in, and he wipes out. Like, he just absolutely blows the penalty shot. Doesn't even put it on goal. Um, Yeah. And I I was laughing. Like, I thought it was hilarious. Um, But he jumps up, and immediately, like, the movie gave you that moment, you know, where it was kind of a humorous, lighthearted moment where you see this like absolute flaw in this character's game and then it just yanks it away from you immediately. Like they make him endearing, he's yep. human, and then all of a sudden he's on the ground and his hamstring's jacked up and it's related to his back. Uh, the doctor even tells him yep. that like, you know, your hamstring's been carrying oh, the Oh, definitely is. Yeah. I've, had, so... I've never
1: had a problem with my spine, um, but I've had nerve damage in my lower back yeah. And it's awful. And I'm I'm guessing if he does have a serious injury to you know his spine that he's he's got nerve damage related to it and it will affect your legs. Yeah. I've had leg injuries. Um I remember one time I was I thought I was recovering from a back injury when I was playing football. Um, and we were in the weight room squatting and I went down and I just felt this felt like I got shot in the back, but I could feel it down my entire leg. And once that pain went away, like my leg was still hurting, and my leg hurt for for a few days after that. Yeah. And it's weird. It will affect your muscles. Um, I don't know. It's that whole scene, though. It was funny. But um, like throughout the entire movie, he's doing that. He's always in his own head. Yeah. And like whenever he's hanging out with Elon, a couple scenes, you know, where they're laying in bed or. They're on their date in the hockey rink. Yeah. She's always like, What are you thinking about? And he says he's thinking about hockey, but I think he's really thinking about um, what's he going to do after hockey. Yeah. Like it's always in his head the entire movie. Yeah. Like you said, it's always every scene, damn near, it's in your face. Yeah. The whole movie is about him realizing what he's going to do after hockey. And that movie or that scene um, ties into it.
0: Yeah, yeah. He
1: embarrasses himself.
0: <laughs> and then Elon, you know, leaves us shortly after that to go to New York, tells him that tells ends up telling him that she's in New York, right? And so he starts thinking about yep. that a little bit. Um but you're right, like it's the the common theme throughout the movie, and it's kind of I don't know, it's not subtle to me because it's, it's just there and you're kind of expecting you see it, right? So the little kid flipping off at the beginning of the movie. Um the quote that he has with his sister when they're talking about the great Gatsby um Gatsby's always reaching for something that's always beyond him so Bobby's always reaching for something that's just beyond him um the uh the coach at the beginning of the movie um says let's focus on having fun and then uh Bobby's like winning is fun uh and the coach says well the things that you'll take away uh from this are taking much further in life than hockey ever will like discipline teamwork and leadership and yep. he's not focused on any of the other life stuff. He's only focused on uh, the hockey stuff, right? So you see that throughout the movie. I don't know. Did you have any like favorite quotes that kind of jumped out to you?
1: Yeah, just that, honestly, my favorite quote, um, just because it kind of struck a chord with me. Like I've already talked about it, but uh, being in the car. Yeah. Um, I really like that quote cause I've been there before while I was playing football. That's all I thought about. That's what I, you know, that's what I was doing in high school. I didn't, I had no idea what my life would be. I was going to college, but I wasn't going to college for anything specific. Yeah. Um, obviously other than playing football. So I've been at that crossroads before trying to think about what am I going to do after this? Yeah. Um, so that one, you know, sometimes you have to find out what you're not before you find out who you are. I mean honestly I still have no idea who I am. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I found out what I wasn't. You know what I mean? And that part of the quote. Um, it just it struck the core with me. Yeah. Because I've been there before.
0: Yeah, I found myself in my, so that was definitely my favorite a lot quote. in this movie. Like this this movie kinda hit my emotions uh a little more yeah. than I expected it to, right? It's got this very like just like, who are you? What's next in life and those are difficult questions to to answer, you know, on the grand scheme of things. Yeah, they are. Yeah, that's why um, it was in
1: his head the whole the whole movie. Like it, like it's as soon as you realize that this isn't your future, you're always thinking about it. Yeah, you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, and we kind of pick um, up with his story at that point in his life, right? He's already been grinding in the miners, yeah. and those those thoughts are creeping into his head. So it's it's clear why like he's thinking about him on a daily basis. You paused the movie at one point and sent me a picture um, and I kind of want you to talk about that because it cracked me up that you found that and um, and I think that that's a really important part of the story too.
1: Yeah, the... Uh, oh, where'd it go? Yeah, here we go. I saved it. Yeah, when he was a little kid um, doing a little foreshadowing, he's in the... Comes to the classroom messing with his friends. He's playing hockey in there and there's a... Quote, up on the wall, you know how schools are, and quotes everywhere. Yeah. Uh, what we learn becomes a part of who we are. And um, again, it just ties into the rest of the movie. Except yeah. anonymous. So I don't know if he.
0: It's probably just one of those generic quarter. quotes, but I think like your yeah. point on it was perfect. You know, you look at this picture and all these kids are sitting in their desks, looking up towards the front of the classroom, ready to learn, right? right? Like they're yeah. developing themselves into something and he's off to the side of this picture. With his hockey stick. And so, you know, yeah. what we what we learn, it becomes a part of who we are. And, like, all that he wants to learn is hockey at that point. And it kind yeah. of, you know, I guess he has, like, that wake-up movement, right? Because, like, at the end of the movie, he gets promoted to the next league. He's getting ready to go play for the next level up or whatever. Um, he thought that he had gotten cut. He thought that he was done. And he was at peace with that, right? He takes that photo in front of the building. He's completely at peace. Yeah. He says, I'm probably going to move back in with my best friend in New York. Like, he's ready to move on. And then he finds out he gets promoted, um, but right before he jumps in a cab to go to the next city, um, you know, his teacher at the beginning of the movie had him write a letter to himself that he would read, uh, or that he would send out to everybody 15 years later. So right before yep. he jumps in this cab to go to the next city, he gets that letter from himself. Right. And he reads it. And I think that's the thing to me that like really, really got me the most. And that's where it goes back to when the little kid flips him off. Right. Yeah. If you imagine that that little kid is him at the beginning of the movie, like he's flipping himself off. The the younger version of himself looks at him and is disappointed and flips him off. And then you read that letter and the letter says, dear me, I hope you found something you love as much as I love hockey. So this kid is looking at him as a failure. Like the only thing that he wanted for his future was to find something that he loved as much as he loved hockey.
1: Yep. And he Uh, never found it. There's no way... Yeah, exactly. There's no way a kid wrote that quote, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, He went to Harvard. He was a smart yeah, kid. Yeah, that's true. And it's... Um, I think that was really cool. That got me, too. Because I was not expecting um, that to pop up again. Obviously, in the beginning of the movie, he's uh, reading it or writing it, and then at the end of the movie, it pops back up. That got me, too. Yeah, um, A little bit in the feels. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, but that whole scene where you know where he's hanging up his jersey taking a picture of it and then ends up not going to play for the uh the next league he came to terms with he came to terms with what he was and after he, he did that he knew he wasn't going anywhere yeah um, play hockey headed back to new york
0: i don't know though so The movie kind of leaves it open-ending. It doesn't really tell you what he ultimately does. Because you remember when he first gets to that league in Sweden, you know, where he meets Elin, where he's rooming with Gabe and everything. He's at this bus stop waiting for his coach to pick him up. He comes and picks him up, and he forgets his sticks. Like, he gets in, he throws all of his gear in the cab, jumps in the car, and Elin yells at him, like, Hey, you forgot something. And he turns around and his sticks are sitting there. So he reads this letter from himself at the end of the movie. Um... And in our face the entire time, right? Like, all these quotes telling us, like, yes. we're at the end. This is over. And, all like, his injury, everything, he knows. Like, you know he knows. So he jumps in this cab that's supposed to take him to the next league, and he leaves his sticks behind. And that's yep. where the movie ends.
1: And, yep. And there's uh, there's a whole bunch of symbolism in this movie. And that, uh, like you said, the first time he forgot his sticks, Elon said something to him, uh, reminded him to pick him up. Because he almost like that's like you said, it's in your face the entire time of him almost letting go, um, preparing to let go, and then finally he does. He lets go of the sticks. Um, you know, it's really that's interesting to me. It's weird though because I looked up. Uh, well, obviously, while doing some research, he played in a few different countries. Yeah. So I don't know if that's something they left out, or yeah. if he did go on. After this movie, like you said, they kind of left it open. If he did go on and play again, I don't know. Um, But him leaving the sticks behind just kind of uh, sealed it for me that he he was done. He came to terms with knowing that he wasn't a hockey player.
0: I think they just kind of left the other countries out to condense the story, right? You kind of need one big setting. It's too hard to to go intercontinental. But it's interesting. So he meets Elon. At this bus stop, he's distracted. He's not thinking about hockey for the first time. Yeah. He leaves his sticks behind. She yells at him. He comes back and grabs them. He gets this letter from himself. He's distracted. He's not thinking about hockey. He jumps in this cab. And I mean that I mean, you talk about symbolism and like some things that are kind of leaning in that direction. Elon could be one of those things that broke him away from hockey, like like finding something that you love as much as you loved hockey. Like, yeah, she's the first time that we see him leave his sticks behind.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's um, I don't know if she was trying to do that, you know what I mean? Or if they were just um, uh, portraying her that way. Yeah. But I think she is she she is wet broken from hockey to me at the end of the movie. He's going back to New York to find her.
0: Yeah, I think between her and, and, and the conversations that he has with Dean, and then the you know finding out that his coach, right? So his coach talked about um, trying to go pro, and he was playing minors in Cleveland, Ohio. So his coach had made yeah. it to the AHL, and his coach told him that he had an injury, and that's why he couldn't keep playing. He just said, yeah, I got hurt, and I had to come home. And you find out later in the movie, and you don't find out all the details, but you find out later in the movie that his, daughter, his goddaughter actually had a disease, And he moved back home Mm -hmm. to take care of her. So, like, he chose something over hockey. Instead of hockey kicking him out because he couldn't play anymore, he made a choice. Yeah. And I think that that was, like, a critical moment, too.
1: Yeah, but he saw uh, a little bit of Bobby in himself. Yeah. He knew that uh, Bobby was still hanging on. Of course, he had a dream. Um, That's all he ever thought about. But you could see that he was starting to think about um, life after hockey. Yeah. You know, yeah. No, that was pretty cool too. It because uh, that is a hard decision to make. Yeah. Giving up before you know the game gives up on you.
0: Yeah, I think that's difficult for everybody. Um I mean, you see it with professional athletes all the time, right? Like a pitcher hangs on a little too long, gets bombed in his final season. A quarterback hangs on a little too long. I mean, I think about you know Peyton Manning probably shouldn't have been playing the last two years of his career, even though he you know won a Super Bowl in there. Um, yeah guys like Brett Favre going on to the Vikings and getting like three more concussions and, um, you know, people that probably should have, you know, pressed the stop button a year or two earlier. Um, so I'm curious for you, like, obviously, like you said a couple of times, you really relate to the story. Um, I mean, I think you kind of answered the question already, but you know, there was a time in your life where you thought that you might go pro playing football, right?
1: Yeah, that was my dream. Um, you know, just like Bobby, that's all, I, that's all I thought about. You know what I mean? You never think about what's after it. Yeah. You only think, because the situation you're at in your life, you think about what's after this, is, it's football. Yeah. That's all I could think about. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. That's what I knew. Um, and I did decide, you know, to give up. Or for, you know, very similar reasons to what was in the movie. Family yeah. back home. You know, hearing about my dad being sick, yeah, stuff like that. Whenever I would call mom, but um, well, I knew
0: that you didn't have like anything as traumatic, like a you know, you know, jacked up spine and had that surgery on. But I know right. towards the end of your football career too, you were fighting a lot of back problems, and I, I mean, last I heard, you still have some back problems. Um, so that might have made it a little easier too.
1: Yes, it did. And when you have an injury like that, just like in the movie, it is always on your mind. Yeah, and when it's not. Like you get injuries a lot, obviously playing sports, especially very physical sports like football or hockey. Um, but they usually they go away. But when you have a a real injury that um, you never truly recover from, it is always on your mind. Yeah, you are always thinking about. Well, if this isn't getting better, I am um, only making it worse. Yeah, when do I stop? You know what I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah. How hard is that transition? So obviously, it's at a certain point. You know, you just have to, like, make the decision, right? you got to cut the cord and just be like, all right, I'm done. But even after you make the decision, it can't be easy to adjust. Like, you've just ripped something away from you that has been a part of you for so long.
1: Yeah, you have to uh, completely learn everything again. Everything's brand new to you. Um, I mean, I went to a completely different state to go play football. It was a bit of a culture shock, but... I knew what I was there to do, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was a new place, but it wasn't a new life, um, necessarily. But when I came back home to Kansas, I've been here, I grew up here, it was completely a new life for me. It was weird. Yeah. I it's kinda no the opposite what I was gonna do. It's a yeah, familiar place really but
0: was. a completely different life. You've lost you've lost that structure that you're used to your entire get up, go to class, go to practice, you know, everything yep. pushing towards one goal, that goal's gone. You kind of feel. Did you feel kind of aimless for a while? Like, like you just didn't know what to do. You kind of drift, and like you're trying to figure it out, but like it's difficult.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, you definitely do. Um, you just kind of like I had a bunch of different jobs trying to find out what did I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Do I want to go back to school? Um, finish my degree, and I mean I do obviously. And now that I have my student loans paid off. I am going to go back to school, but, um, that's it. Again, I have no idea what I want to go back to school for. Yeah. I mean, because before I was going to school to play football.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 You weren't looking for an athlete.
1: Yeah. As a student athlete, um, your coaches, everybody always says, Oh, you're a student first, but really in your mind, you're an athlete first. You went to school to play, you went to school to play your sport.
0: Yeah, it's not a traditional uh, student experience for sure, right? So you're not involved in all the groups that other students may be in. Um, I don't uh, want to say the classes are necessarily easier, but they definitely give you a better path to make sure that you can stay on the football field. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Obviously, there are some exceptions. There are definitely some student athletes who definitely challenge themselves and you know realize that they have a life beyond that and kind of figured that out early. But I think that that's probably the exception more so than the rule. Even the people that you can look at right away and say there's no way in the world you're ever going pro have those dreams that they can't let go of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And some of those, it was weird. Like I, um, I played with a bunch of guys at, you know, a couple of different schools. There were some guys like that, that knew they knew before they got to college, um, to play football, that they weren't going pro that after college, they weren't going to be playing football. So I was honestly, like I was kind of jealous of those guys because those they were they were very uh, motivated to um, leave there with a degree. You know what I mean? They went yeah. to class every day. Um, that was on their brain first. Yeah, was class. And obviously, looking back, I'm jealous that uh, I didn't think that way. Yeah. All I thought about was playing football. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do after college too. And it didn't work out that way.
0: Yeah. I mean, life's just tough like that. Like it's, it's a unique experience for everybody. Um, We're all so dramatically different. We see the world in different ways. And sometimes we learn lessons a little late and there's no way to go back in time and change those things. So it's like, you know, you're so focused on football, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you can't shift and pivot. And that's really why I'm curious what happens next in like uh, Bobby's story, right? Like how does he adjust, like what does that post hockey journey look like for him? Obviously, he's right. got the advantage of a Harvard degree, and he's seen a huge chunk of the world. But what does he? What does he ultimately end up doing? Is, is kind of the question that I that I've got, and um, I think a lot of your deep dive stuff is what really convinced me that I need to go read this book, just because you were like so passionate about like all of the allegory and all the other things that might be in there. And I'm like, well, what else is probably in the book that we didn't get to see in the movie?
1: Right, and uh, he played with a bunch of big names not just the people on his team yeah but, uh, they but you're me he than... played
0: against Sidney crosby in the juniors and
1: yeah he played against jonathan quick and Sidney crosby when he was a kid um and then i'm guessing he played against a bunch of big names too in college
0: yeah so i'm curious if he actually but... names those people accurately in the book i would assume so in the book it's probably easier to to get that stuff through publishing than it is for a movie um yeah but yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely interested in that. So the only other thing I want to talk about your football stuff in is I know for a fact that you did play on the same team as a person who ended up going professional. Uh, and I wonder if you ever had to face off against that person in practice. Yes, I did. Was yes, there did. ever a moment um, as you're facing off against this person where you're thinking to yourself, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing?
1: Hell no, he motivated me. I was excited too. Really? Um, so actually... Two guys that have been all pros, they're getting ready to play right now against the uh, Green Bay Packers. Levante David, he's a linebacker. Okay. Um, all pro linebacker for the Buccaneers and Jason Pierre-Paul. They're both uh, playing today. Both still starters and yeah. still very good. But uh, I played against both of them. I was second. They were starters, obviously, both in yeah. Florida. They're both from Southern Florida. Um. Uh, so they're pretty much right at home right now. But, yes, I did. I was second team, which means I would go up against, you know, the first team defense during practice every day. Yeah. I was playing left tackle on second team. Um, Justin Pierre-Paul is a defensive end.
0: That's something that's kind of funny um, to me. I've always, I've always theorized that athletes, especially, um, they look at getting their ass kicked differently than a normal person. Because once you hit the top levels of competition, 100% you've been beat before. You can be the best left tackle on the best offensive line on the best NFL team, and somebody has done something to you that you didn't expect and has blown your quarterback up. Like, you're going to lose. And I think athletes, the higher level you get, um, athletes have a different perspective on losing than a lot of normal people. So for me, like I would imagine going against like Jason Pierre-Paul and thinking this guy's a freak. He's too fast. He's too strong. Yeah. I, I don't know if I were getting paid to stop him. What the hell would I do? Whereas like, you're right. like, this guy's a freak. I need to be better.
1: Yep. And it's, that's what it was. At first I was, um, scared. Honestly, like going yeah. into a uh, training camp. I remember this guy showing up out on the field. You're like, who the, who the hell is this guy? He looks like somebody I just created in my dorm room, uh, playing Madden. You know yeah. what I mean? yeah like for real that's what he looks like he's he's about an inch taller than me um just naturally born he looks like a superhuman he's got these long arms long legs uh just super ripped super built and he never worked out he was very lazy the coaches gave him (laughs) the uh you know princess treatment yeah um because he's just a super natural freak athlete and uh he didn't have to. He was one of the, what you call a game dayer. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, he did take practice seriously sometimes. <laughs> but because he didn't, like I remember, um, I, he went my ass a few times. Um, it was actually a lot of times. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it motivated me, like we were talking about. And all the offensive uh, linemen, you know, the first three, the other guys back there during practice, we all know he's going pro. We all know he's going to be a first-round draft pick. Um, he had awful grades in high school, so he didn't go to a D1 school. Yeah. So with guys like that, instead of going to a Division two school, you go to Juco for one year, then you can transfer to a D1 school. Yeah, which is what he did. He went was like um,
0: Florida Atlantic or something like that, like somewhere in, in Florida.
1: Southern Florida, Southern University. Yeah. Um, but no, I got. My, don't worry, I got my licks in on him too. Okay. Yeah. I took advantage of him when he was being lazy. And, but he would go twice as hard the next play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it just was fun. It's, it's just, yeah. Like once you get your ass whipped, it's not that bad. You know what I mean? It's, you just get back up and you keep going. Um, and it went back and forth throughout the entire year during yeah. practice, but it was really fun. Like the entire O-line cheering me on, um, egging him on after, um, I took advantage of him taking off on a play yeah. and, uh, you know, putting him on his back, but that only made it worse. Yeah, <laughs> it but, only you know, made it worse. Jason
0: Pierre-Paul might have a lot of things. You know, he's obviously got a lot of money. Um, he's got a pretty rocking career, right? Drafted by the Giants, had right. a great career there. He's all pro, right. but uh, you've got ten fingers, and I think that you can you can testify to <laughs>
1: that. So, uh, yeah, it don't is play true. He's... Kids. No, he was actually he was a nice guy. He wasn't yeah. he wasn't an asshole. He wasn't. Uh you're stereotypical like hey i'm better than all of you so i'm going to treat you that way you know what i mean he was actually pretty cool you could talk to him um, he stayed out of trouble too and yeah. he didn't he didn't he never drank never smoked weed he stayed out of trouble he was just a little bit uh, lazy minded you know what so i mean
0: so it seems like maybe not getting into a d1 school kind of woke him up a little bit and he was like okay i need to get on the path to to get where i'm going yeah that's that's yeah, good absolutely. To hear. And then, I, like, I like stories like that.
1: Yeah, he was a good guy. I've always been a fan of his, and Levante David. Levante David, though, was... Um, he never drank, never smoked either. But damn, dude, like, he went to work every day at practice. Yeah. You know, he was always in the classroom. Um, he took everything so seriously. I just don't... He, I can't remember why he was there exactly. I can't remember if he... A lot of guys, too, go to a D1 school realize they don't want to play there or, you know, they end up not liking the coaches or whatever. Mm. They transfer down to a JUCO for one year and then go to another D1. Makes it um, easier so You get so a lot of have guys... to, like,
0: red shirt to, to, like, get to another D1 school. Yeah. They can keep playing and maturing and,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. You go sense. to a JUCO. Um, instead of sitting out, you go to a JUCO. Everybody, you get another year of um, game film to send out to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh... No, he just worked his ass off every day, and he was a damn good linebacker, too. I had some run-ins with him. Um, obviously, walking at the second level, I got some – He's we didn't uh, um, go up against each other too much, but uh, there's quite a few plays where, you know, I go up to the secondary or I'm swinging around the line when he's down on the line and I block him out. I hit him a few times pretty good, too. And it's he's one of those guys, though, I had no idea would be an all pro yeah, Um, and be in the NFL as long as he has been. But he had some talent, but he worked his ass off every day. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the the opposite
0: of Jason Pierre-Paul a little bit. It wasn't just like all pure natural athletic ability. Uh, He had some skill, but like he also built himself into the player that he needed to become. Yep. Yeah.
1: That's exactly what it was. He was a very quiet guy. He was nice too. Um, Never disrespectful, but he's just very quiet. Yeah.
0: Well, I just kind of wanted to, to walk asshole. through uh, your little memory lane there because I kind of, when I was thinking about the movie and thinking about you watching it, I kind of thought, you know, some of those things might hit home with you, you know, grinding, trying to get to another level, yeah. you know, moving from, you know, Kansas to, to New Mexico and, and all the things that you experienced. And, you know, there's always that moment where it's it's do or die and, and sometimes you just gotta walk away, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I remember uh, we were trying to, kind of going over you know what movie are we going to talk about on this podcast yeah um and i saw that one i was like oh this looks awesome it looks like uh they did a very good job of drawing you in in the trailer thinking making you think it's going to be an action movie yeah (laughs) um but it was completely different than what i thought it would be but they duped you it just yeah um but it was a good movie it's well written maybe not the best acting, but um you tell so, it's a low budget movie. Lower so final thoughts on it.
0: Like like did you you enjoyed it, obviously. It sounds like you enjoyed it. Um, would yeah. you recommend that other people watch it?
1: I would. Um, especially if I know they've been through something yeah similar like I have. Because again, I didn't expect it to um like you said, hit me in the feels as much as it did, but it did. I related to it quite a bit. It was it was enjoyable though. Yeah. Not as much action. Um as you think there would be. So I think that some people would probably think it's a little bit slow, boring. Yeah. But, um, it's well written. I think it's definitely worth a watch. And honestly, it was better the second time I watched it just because after doing a little bit of research on it, um, I felt like I understood the movie a little bit more.
0: Yeah. You started looking for certain things and, and kind of tuning in a little more focused. Yeah. I think, um, for me, uh, definitely if, if like somebody's going through some sort of a transition period, you know, Um, in your career or giving up on something or, you know, who knows. Um, I think it's a good movie to watch. Uh, I don't know. I feel like for our league, I don't know that our audience um, specifically would would be into it that much. So, I don't know. You got got 90 minutes to kill and you got nothing else to do. Uh, Definitely give it a shot. I enjoyed it. Um, I think my favorite scene of the whole movie, there's a scene where, you know, like you said, he's always in his head. He's always, like, talking to himself. And he scores this goal. And his team kind of has this muted celebration and he points to the bench and they all start skating back towards the bench. And as he's going to the bench, he passes all of these different people. Like he passes former teammates, you know, Gabe's in there. He passes like former versions of himself. And he's talking about like what the dream is and the dreams to go to the NHL. And it's always been his dream. And in that moment, as he's skating past, like all these people from his past, he says to himself, maybe this is the dream. And yeah. like, he's, he's so focused on what's ahead of him that he's not like stopping to enjoy the experiences that he's had. And I kind of felt like that, that was like that big turning point moment, you know, it's one of those moments that kind of gives you chills where it's like, okay, you know, like this is, this is where we're
1: heading. Yeah. yeah. I got chills there too. He, uh, um, I think he just kind of showed like friends and family, this is your dream. Yeah. This is what you've given up, you know, trying to trace your dream. Um, but it's not the real dream. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, all right. You forget um, about all that other stuff. Yeah, I think that pretty well uh, wraps up everything I had to say on the movie. Do you have any other points or anything that uh, that we missed?
1: No, I was trying to think about that. Um, I don't really think so. I think we covered everything. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, um, yeah you covered more, a few more points than I thought you would. I like it.
0: I try to be organized. I try to be ready. <sighs> yeah. All right. Well, I guess uh, I guess that's good for our conversation. Then we uh, we ran over an hour uh, talking about this movie. So we did a pretty good we, job. Did we really? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel like oh, it passed well. by really quick. An hour and seven
1: minutes. We've been on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. For real. No, that was fun. I had a lot of fun doing this. I uh, I'm excited now. There's football on. It was a good yeah. day. This is a fun podcast. I want to do it again so I get better at it. You know? Yeah. What I mean? yeah.
0: We'll uh we'll find a new uh, we'll find another movie for you to watch uh, uh for a couple weeks from now and we'll do another one.
1: All right, so listen to this. I'm uh, to to uh, this all the way through for real. Watch Red Pink Ones. It's a crazy and funny and scary <laughs> documentary, all at the same time. You learn quite a bit from it too. It's really Red cool. Red Penguins. It's That's on on Amazon, right? I had to rent it. Yeah, I had to rent it for two ninety nine. I want to say, but it's well worth it. Awesome. It's cool oh, little yeah, history yeah, uh awesome. history documentary about you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins are involved, but it's really cool.
0: Yeah. All right, man. Well, Maybe thanks we for joining me today. I guess I'll, uh, yeah, I'll turn absolutely. you loose to watch some football. And uh, Yeah. Yeah, go Chiefs. Hell yeah, go Chiefs. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Better. So that pretty well does it for episode two. Uh, my apologies to Jacob, who we had to bump because this episode just got way too full. Uh, You know, I've heard people say that Jacob is a lot like pie, and supposedly there's always room for pie, but sometimes you're a few plates deep into Thanksgiving dinner, and you just gotta take a massive dump before you're ready for dessert. So I guess that makes this episode a toilet bowl full of regret. But that also makes Isaiah a steaming hot plate of turkey and stuffing, so special thanks to him for a fun conversation about a movie that... I am a bit iffy on recommending. Uh, Personally, I enjoyed it, and it's really on theme for a midlife crisis, but considering it's based on a book by a Harvard graduate and our league's literacy rate is a little lacking, we'll put this one on the maybe-if-COVID-is-still-here-at-Christmas list. I also want to remind everyone that this podcast is now on Spotify, which I am super excited about, even if the bar for getting published to Spotify is surprisingly low. But uh, be sure to subscribe. It doesn't really do anything for me other than slap some band-aids on my fractured and fragile ego, but I would appreciate, uh, you know, a couple subscriptions out there. Uh, Google Podcast has been a bit tougher of a nut, uh, but I'm hopeful that we'll be live there in a couple of days as well. Uh, before we hang it up for the week, I want to take a super quick lap around the league and just kind of update some scores. Um, in my game, Patricia Patrice Bergeron and Leon Dreissel are leading the full Copetards in a 208-199 lead over Mark Stone and Michael's team. In the Jess vs. Isaiah matchup, uh, league-leading scorer Simeon Varlamov is leading Jess's Been There, and Done That in a 199-185 lead over Mackenzie Blackwood and Isaiah's team. In the matchup between teams without names... Nathan McKinnon and Kevin Hayes have Ashley up by nine and a half points over Philip Grabauer and the Mighty Melissas, and over in the Toilet Bowl, uh, Bo Horvat has Ashton's superb team up by twenty one over Stephen Stamkos and Curtis's crazy team, and over in our matchup of the Connors, uh, Kyle Connor has Jacob's nameless team up one ninety four to one eighty five over Connor McDavid and Dave Sellerdwellers. dwellers, and finally in what has to be our least ethical matchup in Week One. Uh, The Johnson David is paying Eduardo to teach his son how to play goalie and also quite possibly to throw this game as Tyler Toffoli leads the JT Millers over Eduardo's nameless squad of goalies by a dramatic 63 points. Good lord. So I guess the best way to wrap up this episode is uh, to quote a young Bobby Sanders uh, looking into an uncertain future that he knows won't be quite as bright as he dreamed it would be. Um, I hope in 15 years you all find something you love as much as you love this podcast.